dogs and llamas and copperheads. Oh my, just another episode of Cruise Through HTX. Hello, it's Freddy Cruz, and this is a podcast in which I share the stories of the individuals, businesses, and organizations that make the greater Houston area great. One such individual is my friend, Michelle Mantor. She is the publisher of Pet Talk Magazine. During this episode, We talk about the early days of the magazine, the creation of her beloved character, Henrietta, as well as the challenges of print publishing in 2024. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did putting it together for you, please subscribe to the show and share with your family and friends at cruisethroughhtx.com. Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man Flo Rida with Freddie Cruz. This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Tell you she go pick Mr. 305 and you already know what it is. My name is Freddie and it's time to cruise through HTX. Do you remember the first article you ever wrote for Pet Talk Magazine. I don't remember it, but I'm sure it was terrible. (laughs) Um, I started writing in, I think, 2003. And that's when I first created the Henrietta character. And so I have gone back and looked at some of those, and they were pretty bad. Um, They were were kind of like wishy-washy. I was trying to figure out who her personality was. And she was a rovering reporter at the time, and she was kind of going to be a gossip columnist. And she's morphed into something else over time. But even worse than my writing, I've learned what not to do for a cover. So the worst cover probably ever published in history. What I've learned is tell people what to wear to a photo shoot. So I had this idea that I wanted to do a multi-species family, so a family that has more than one species, right? So this particular business, to remain unnamed, um, had... They I, love, they I were, love that caveat, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well... Tell me who they are. Um, they, nope, got to keep those secrets. They were an advertiser at the time, actually. No, and you really have to tell me. they had multiple species. <laughs> okay. And so I show up, and so the, the photo shoot was at their home because they had five border collies, three different species or types of snakes... Two miniature horses, a bearded dragon, and I want to say maybe a rabbit. I forget what the other animal was. So I show up for the photo shoot. The wife is wearing a sleeveless sweater that has the American flag right across the chest, and she has the the boa constrictor, whatever snake it was, is kind of like wrapped around her neck, right? So you don't really see it. Okay. The son was a super ginger, and he had, like, this, like, see-through skin. And so he had the bearded dragon on his arm, and the bearded dragon was exact same color as his skin, and he had on some kind of, like, a Doobie Brothers T-shirt. And then the dad (laughs) had on a Hawaiian shirt, and so he has one of the border collies with him and two of the, um, the miniature horses. And so, of course, we had to be outside because the miniature horses, and the ground was, like, dirt and... It was just horrible. So I actually should go dig that out. But that was one of my first lessons. Tell people what to wear and be very, very specific about it. And, you know, so I've learned a lot of lessons about design, writing, all of it. But, yeah, going back in time, there are some things I'm definitely not proud of. But there's a reason why they tell you, like, when when people actually do tell you what to wear for a photo shoot, that's the specific reason. It's, like, for, it's to make it. Right, because it's visual. Yeah. And one of the things I have to remind a lot of people, and, and these are people, you know, sometimes they're media, et cetera, they're used to being on TV, they're used to being photographed, and 
I still have to remind them that pet talk's really about the dog mm-hmm. or the cat or <clears throat> whatever the the animal is. And in order for the animal to show up, then you need to wear something very subdued. So pretty much a solid color, you know, don't show up with, you know, polka dots or herringbone design because then the animal doesn't pop out in the photo. Mm-hmm. So all of that's, you know, the visual aspect has been as difficult to learn over time as the written communication. Go back to Henrietta for people who are not, I mean, you're all over the Houston area, but by some chance someone's listening and hasn't yet picked up an issue of Pet Talk magazine, who is Henrietta and what inspired the character? Well, Henrietta is a uh, a dog and she's... Um, her initial illustration was drawn by Jim Tweedy, who is famous for his little doggies. And they're called Friendly Doggies, actually, is his, his trade name. And so she was kind of like a, a wannabe. You know, she's overweight, but she wants to be thin. And she's really kind of not that important in the community, but she really wants to be. You know, she's kind of a name dropper. Um, absolutely adores chocolate and hot dogs and really good wine. And so she's pretty much into anything gastro. Um, she always wants to be involved in like politics and things, but she really, you know, she doesn't really have that opportunity, but she's got a bunch of compadres that are mostly her cousins and everyone's name starts with an H. And it really, I think the Henrietta came because I had an aunt Hilda and her siblings were all H's and my grandmother, Helen, et cetera. So that's how it got started really with Henrietta. So her siblings are, you know, Henry and Hortense, et cetera. And they're always getting into some kind of escapade and she's getting things confused and she screws things up, but she always finds a way to land on her feet in the end. And, you know, she's even infiltrated Buckingham Palace one time. So it's just crazy antics. And I, I have a great time writing it. I don't know if anybody reads it, but <laughs> I have a good time writing it. Well, you're ha- well, and Pet Talk Magazine has been around for more than 20 years, so I would attribute some some of that success to Henrietta, you know, her her staying power. I'm sure if it was something that was lame, you I mean, the audience would probably, I don't know, in some way let you know. Yeah, I mean, she's really um kind of a smart aleck and um, you know, I I've seen a lot of people that try to write these type of characters and they just get too like Everything's like they sign at Wiggy Wag, and it's just so mushy. Uh, and I'm not mushy. So she's more like sort of, you know, sarcastic. And um, you have to read her character over time to really understand, you know, some of these characteristics about her. But she's pretty funny. And she, you know, she just is constantly into some kind of escapade or trouble. Or, you know, she tried out to be Reveille at A&M one time. And, and her mom... <laughs> which is referred to as DL, which is short for Dragon Lady, which is actually the editor of Pet Talk. Um, so she's, you know, she has a love-hate relationship with Dragon Lady because Dragon Lady makes her sleep in the bathroom on a purple beanbag chair while she yeah. sleeps in a king-size bed with 100, you know, 1,000-count Egyptian cotton sheets. <laughs> so anyway, it's fun. I have a, every now and then someone says they read Henrietta, so it keeps me motivated to yeah. keep writing it. Yeah. I mean, do you have a favorite story of Henrietta's that, that really resonates with you? I mean, when you're feeling like, oh, I don't know if I can do it on this month. You know, I try to draw from current events. Mm-hmm. So I've had people come and say, I just love Henrietta. You should make a book of it. And then I go back and look at them and they're very event focused for the most part, not always, but you know, when she went to 
England and somehow infiltrated Buckingham Palace because she was mistaken for one of the guards. That was during, um, you know, Kate and William's wedding. Gotcha. Um, when there was that, um, the Wall Street, the whole, you know, Wall Street ruckus thing a number of years ago, she did a little deal where she was on Wall Street. Um, there's one when we had Hurricane Harvey, and she somehow ends up in a boat in DL's Prada shoes, which does not go well. Um, so they're very, you know, I kind of focus on what's happening. There's there's one where um, she, her, her, one of her cousins, I don't remember which one, I want to say maybe Henry, decides that he's going to um, do a rap song uh, about Donald Trump. So this is the first time Trump was running for president. I wrote this little rap song and had somebody record it. So you could actually go to the website and listen to it. It was really pretty funny, actually. Um, so very, very current event focused. Yeah. Well, I love that it's global, yet it's also local and it's relevant to what is ha- whatever is happening uh, in in the news cycle, so to speak. But yeah, she's a very informed doggy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's what happens when you leave the TV on for animals. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, with my they dog. They become smarter than us. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, geez, Sparrow. Sparrow's my dog. It's like, I leave Food Network on for you. Why is there not a five-course meal ready for me when I get home? Exactly. Put yourself to we work. We need to manage these expectations better. <sighs> yeah, really. Um, but, you know, you've got a, a hyper-local angle to what this magazine does and who it serves. And that's what makes it so unique. And that's why you're literally all over the place. What did I see this right? That you're in, you've got like 20, 30,000, a distribution of 20, 30,000, something like that. Yes. In about 1000 locations in Houston and it is monthly. Um, So that's, you know, it's a, it's a big cycle to, hit a monthly publication, but also Houston is huge. So, you know, if you want to cover the whole greater Houston area, you know, that's, that's quite challenging. And if we dare miss an area of town, I'll get emails, you know, we'd really like to have pet talk here. So it's, it's, it's humbling that people want the magazine as much as they do, but it's also from a business perspective that is challenging to distribute over, you know, the fourth largest city in the U S Okay, so I got to know when you first started Pet Talk, obviously you were not in a thousand locations. What was the point uh, in your distribution journey, for lack of a better term, that gave you that that indication that, okay, I'm going directionally correct. I think I have something and this is going to be uh, a magazine that's going to stand the test of time. Hmm, uh, good question. I don't think there was a moment in time. I think it was just... A gradual schlog, literally like month after month, you know, working to grow the distribution. And some of it would come through requests, you know, an apartment complex, let's say, would call and say, hey, we found your magazine at so-and-so. Could we also have distribution? So some of it has grown that way organically. And then I have a fantastic uh, distribution company, and they work very hard to grow the list as well. And so if they're out and about and they're delivering, they see a new business that looks like it might be a great distribution location, then they'll say, hey, would you like to add them to the list? So it really just grew over time. There wasn't a big leap. And when I first started with Pet Talk, it was a, oh, I don't know, I think it was maybe six pages. It was almost like a newsletter. You know, it was newspaper print. It had six advertisers and I think printed 500 copies. So 
it really has just been gradual. But I will say, to me, the biggest jump that I was so excited about was moving from newspaper print to glossy paper. That was the best day of my life. Because it's a beautiful magazine. <laughs> Other than magazine. having my children, so in case they listen to this. <laughs> that was also good. <laughs> We're talking professional here. Yes. Professionally speaking. Uh, but, I mean, the magazine is, it's a beautiful magazine. Every single month that you're able to pull this off, you and, and your team of writers and creators and... Um, I remember one time, and thank you, uh, you you had me and my dogs on. I know. I launched your career, didn't I? Yeah, you <laughs> pretty much did, you know, but it's so cool. It, it is um, it is really cool. Uh, I come from the radio space, and now I'm in the podcast space, and I don't really think it's any – I don't think the, the, the means of communication are not really different, mm-hmm. whether you're, oh, I heard myself on the radio. I saw myself on the TV news. I heard mm-hmm. myself on a podcast. I saw myself in Pet Top Magazine. It's it's just cool, you know? Well, what is cool is that, you know, print, of course, it, it's visual, and it lasts forever. Yeah. So this is an interesting story. Sometimes people say, you know, hey, what's what are some of the challenges with, you know, from a business perspective of publishing, you know, a, a magazine like Pet Talk? And part of it is that, you know, the magazine has been around for 24, Four years. So it started in 2000. And there's been a lot of change in technology, of course, in 24 years. So when I first started, print was very, very common. And over time, a lot of magazines have kind of fallen off because the cost of printing is very expensive. And so a number of publications have gone digital, etc. So I think the younger generation, like the Gen Z group, they think everything's digital. Like they don't even know there is paper, I don't think. What's a magazine, mom? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so... A lot of, so as the pet industry has changed, when I first started, most of the businesses were small businesses, individually owned, small mom and pop shops. Over time, corporations have come in, you know, so you'll see, as you drive down any of the freeways here, you'll see a number of pet franchises. So they're either a franchise or they're a national corporation. They're not headquartered in Houston And they will have, you know, some gal over in Orlando that is a Gen Z who's in charge of their marketing. And if they would, they open a new business or acquire a business in Houston, the first thing I hear from them is, well, we don't really do print. Mm. And my challenge is always to say to them, but you haven't seen our print. Because Pet Talk is unique, I think, in, in its positioning within Houston. It has a lot of loyal readers. It's been here a very, very long time. Um, we're integral in the pet community and we're not just a print magazine. We're out at events. We are promoting animal, uh, you know, education, animal welfare. Um, people come to us, you know, where, where do I find this resource? Where do I find that resource? And so it's kind of an education, if you will, to this younger generation that, Hey, print still matters. People still read it. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, I liked reading the bathtub. I get tired of being on something electronic all day. I like to hold paper I like to smell paper. I want to touch it. <clears throat> as soon as I get each magazine in, I'm feeling the paper. I want to make sure the printer gave me the right, you know, <laughs> weight paper. And so it, it, and it never goes away. I mean, I get people that will contact me and they'll say, I saw in Pet Talk there was an article about animal grief, and I can't find the information now, but, you know, who was this crematory that I, you know, I'd really like to use for my pet. Or I had someone contact me the other day that was an advertiser and she stopped advertising a few years ago. And so she sent me an email. She said, Hey, did you mention me recently in the magazine? Because I just got someone 
contacted me to say they saw me in Pet Talk. And I was like, no, but that proves my point that print lasts forever because that was at least a three-year-old ad that you just got a lead from. So Lifetime value is what they would call it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I like that. Mate, can I steal that? <laughs> I, I stole it from somebody I heard on a podcast <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> who sells podcasts. His sharing podcast is caring, right? Sharing so. is caring. <laughs> uh, if you stole it from me, you stole, uh, you stole it from someone else yeah. too, yeah. I think is what the, the cliche is. Um, but I yeah. had an old boss that used to say, where there's mystery, there's margin. I just always loved that. And I use that on occasion and everyone's like, can I steal it? And I'm like, yeah, where there's I stole it. Mystery, there's margin. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I was in sales. And so it's basically, you know, you don't let... The you don't want to show everything behind the curtain as to what creates the value of mm, your product. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's that's why uh, people are shocked to find out. You know, you and I obviously know this, but like a lot of our favorite designer brands might be made across seas for dirt cheap. Really, and the markup is insane. Wow, <laughs> I didn't know that. The mystery behind the margin or whatever <laughs> exactly. it was. Yeah, it's like oh. where there's. Yeah, where there's mystery, there's margin. Yeah. So you can make more money mm. if people don't know everything. Mm, yeah, no, um, absolutely. But, um, okay, so let's go back to the magazine, the 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 current issue. Yeah, so this, this episode is going to be out in February. We record this on the last day of January. It's the January-February issue, and there's an adorable little dog. She is the most beautiful dog ever born to dogdom. Dogdom. Because she's my dog. Yep. I bet she, and I bet she's the bestest, most well-behaved dog in the whole Well, I don't know about that, but she's the cutest. Um, She is adorable. Yeah. This is the January, February. Well, earlier when I said we're monthly, we are, except January, February is a double issue. Um, I started that a while back because I wanted to have time at Christmas to not be publishing Pet Talk day in and day out. So it gives me a little bit of a break. Um, And that's literally the only reason. Just to take a break, but um, yeah, she's she's a really cool dog. She's about to have her ninth birthday, so uh-huh. she's my buddy, Jetta. She, Jetta. Jetta. Her name's Jetta, and we recently moved from the city to the country. And I don't uh, full disclosure, even though I publish a magazine that has a lot of training articles, I'm horrible at training my own dog. <laughs> and so she's, I don't really have full control of her. That is full disclosure. And so I walk her on a leash and all of my neighbors make fun of me. They're like, you are literally the only person who lives in the country who walks their dog on a leash up and down their driveway. <laughs> is so she that like, out of control? Because I love her so much. And I, well, it, she's in control until she sees something better. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, okay. if, if, all of a sudden, a squirrel ran by. She would be off after the squirrel. <laughs> so I just don't want to take that chance. You know, I'm one of those people that if there's a yeah. 1% chance my dog might run away and get hurt, I just don't take the chance. So yeah. I'm a bit obsessive about that, but I'm the joke of the neighborhood that I walk my dog around our country property. <laughs> okay, so tell me about tell me about her. So she is... She's a Briard. A Briard. So she's a French sheepdog. They're from the Brie region of France. Okay. And the uh, initial breed was brought to America... F- by Thomas Jefferson. And there was a breeding pair given to him by the president of France, and they came over on a boat, and I think they had puppies during that, I don't know, probably six-month journey. And um, when he brought the dogs back, everybody was just so crazy about them that they were just the best sheep herders they'd ever seen. So he started a breeding program, and that's really how uh, they proliferated in the United States, but they are a French dog, and... 
Um, they are bred to herd sheep, but more like from the periphery, you know, not like some of the sheep herders, say like a, a collie, border collie would herd with their eyes, you know, through staring and crouching and moving mm. the, the herd. Um, I didn't these, know they did that. Haven't you ever been stared at? in the eyes by a border collie. It's super intense. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Try it sometimes. Really fun. Wow. <laughs> um, but what they do is they, they're guarding the perimeter of the, of the herd and they fight coyotes. Okay. And we have coyotes on our property, so I'm really not wanting to have like this, you know, she looks so W.W. Horrible. Briard oh, yeah. <laughs> fight go down. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. She looks like she's this super innocent Disney dog, and yeah, she does. And, oh no, she'd go after anything. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at her, and she's got the the cute the cute perky ears, but uh, her hair. She she's got long hair. For some reason, I'm reminded of of Chrissy from Three's Company. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I, I <laughs> that's a new why. one. Yeah, um, I haven't heard that. Yeah, she did. Well, I guess in that photo because she's wearing these, um, you know, eyeglasses that were just a prop for the for a fun photo shoot makes her look silly. Yeah, um, but you know, I think she's probably. I would put her in serious minded dog category simply because they are bred to fight what would be another canine, mm-hmm. and so they're not they're not a dog for the weak. Uh, mm. She's the third one that I've had in over 20-some years, and they're all a training challenge. I wouldn't really? recommend it if you're, like, into, like, the the obedience of a golden retriever. You don't want a Briard. <laughs> this is not that. <laughs> but I, I make a lot of weird animal choices, so I also got two llamas, and I have no real, not a good explanation as to why. Okay, yeah, because when we were trading emails setting up this interview, you had mentioned your husband, Mark, taking off, and then you have to take care of the llamas Mm -hmm. before coming in. Uh, Llamas, horses, and this adorable dog. (laughs) Yeah, so it's a whole, like, set of chores. Okay, so how long have you had llamas, and what made you want to get not just one, but two of them? Well, whenever you get any animal, I mean, I guess unless it's an indoor companion animal, you really need to get two. Okay. Everybody needs a buddy in life, right? So, the okay. The backstory is, I don't know. I guess it was probably twenty sixteen or twenty. Maybe it was twenty seventeen. Um, I had this grand idea that I wanted to do a photo shoot that was kind of like Mother Nature, like all these different species out in the forest. And then I was going to have these models that had like this avant-garde clothing and wild (laughs) hair and makeup, which of course I didn't have the budget to do. So it ended up like not being really what I had envisioned in my mind's eye. But anyway, so I was thinking, okay, well, I need a lot of species and I always want them to be, you know, up for adoption if possible. Because I'm all about, you know, promoting adoption. So I called Houston Humane Society, talked to one of the gals there, and she's like, oh, my gosh, you're in luck. We just got in a group of piglets. So they had, I guess, a pig came in, and then it had piglets. So they had, like, 20 little piglets that were tiny, so, of course, adorable. They had just gotten in a coatamundi, which is sort of, um, it's a South American animal that I, I don't know, I guess I'd put it in a raccoon family. Uh, They also had... um, several California rabbits, obviously, you know, dogs and cats. And she said, and, and we just got in a horse. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's jackpot, really. I mean, it's quite a number of different animals. What about the horse? Like, because, you know, when they get these horses in from abuse cases, they're very emaciated. And if they're too emaciated, I can't really use that in a photo shoot. So she said, well, I just, I don't have a photo, but go look back on our Facebook page and you'll see him. <clears throat> so I'm just scrolling 
and I come to the photo of this horse, and it was like I don't something happened in my brain or God did something to my brain, and I was like, I have to have that horse. Like now, mind you, I had never ridden a horse, did not grow up with horses. In full disclosure, would say I'm afraid of horses because I mean they're just big and powerful, and I don't know them. Just not. They not, can kill people. Oh yeah, yeah, um, or break something. Right. So. You know, it was just very strange that, why, you know, like, why would I all of a sudden want a horse? Mm-hmm. And I lived in a townhouse. It's not like I had anywhere to put him either. <laughs> so I, um, I just was like, I, I, I just, I've got to save this horse somehow. And it turned out that he was a stallion. And a lot of the uh, animal or, or equine rescue groups, they will come. And, so when these animals are confiscated, usually through law enfor- enforcement, They'll come to Humane Society just for their initial vetting, and they have to go through a legal process to actually take the animals, et cetera. And then, the, then because they're not really set up as an equine facility, they'll then find groups to come and take them. Well, the other animals that were confiscated in that uh, raid, they were all gone except him, and the reason that no one would take him was because he was a stallion, and they would only take a gelding or a, a mare. So... I call Mark, and he's at work, and I was like, um, I know it's going to sound crazy, but there's this horse that I want to go see because I want him. And he was like, what? <laughs> I mean, no one is more supportive of me than him. Like, if I said, you know, I think I could fly to the moon, he'd say, yes, honey, I think you're going to be the best astronaut ever. This is the first time he ever went, have you lost your mind? We're in an apartment. Like, what, <laughs> like, what, is, what are you thinking? Like, I mean, you know, you're afraid of horses. They're very expensive. You know, you're in a townhouse. I mean... So he said, okay, if that's what you want to do, we'll go see him. So we went to see him, and I think, you know, I'm very, um, I've always been very taken by Native American history. Like my great-great-grandfather was Native American, and I'm, I've always been into like turquoise and feathers and paint horses. And, and so he has kind of a paint. So his face is like sort of Phantom of the Opera. Like part of his face looks one way, and he has a blue eye, and part of his face is different. He has a brown eye, and he's just interesting looking. So, um, you know, long story, I, I go see him, and he pays no attention to me whatsoever because he's starving, right? And I did, uh, had, had made acquaintance with someone who was a horse trainer, and um, I called her, and I said, I really, I just want to save this horse. She's like, okay, well, um, it, having zero experience with horses, rescuing an abused stallion is like, you know, jumping off of a cliff. I mean, <laughs> you're just going straight for the most difficult thing possible. So she went with me to see him and she said, if this is really your heart horse, I will help you. Cause I could, I would never be able to do this on my own. I was not, I wasn't that stupid. And so I ended up adopting him, had him gelded the next day and he went to stay with her for almost a year. And she worked with him through a lot of his issues of trust. And I slowly you know, I would go spend time with him a couple times a week, and I was kind of afraid of him. Like, he had this look in his eye sometimes that I just couldn't read, um, but yet I was just so attracted to him. It was like, God told me, I am going to save that horse, and it literally changed the trajectory of my life, because now I have a horse that I, you know, I don't know how to ride or do anything with, not to mention it's, you know, $500 a month to board him. I could have bought a Maserati by now for the five years <laughs> I boarded this horse. And so he ended up moving to different places over time out of necessity. Um, you know, she was never to be a long-term solution. So he moved to, uh, I, I ended up um, sending him someplace where he was trained to be ridden. 
stayed there for a while, and then he moved to another place. And at one point, he was in Chapel Hill, and I would go there twice a week from Houston and go and visit him. So this went on for four or five years, and um, we had purchased property um, in out in uh, Whitehall, which is like close to Navasota, and eventually made the decision to move there. And he, and he was really part of the reason because I would go visit him, and as I would drive away, and he would just stand there looking at me in that little paddock, and it was just so sad. And I'd crawl the way home, <laughs> and so but eventually, I was like, I just want to live with him. So finally, the time came where we moved to the property. You know, fixed up a barn, got the fencing, but of course he had to have a buddy. I mean, he can't just be standing out there in the pasture by himself. So I started looking for another horse that I could rescue, and it was a very similar situation. He was in the same sort of area of Houston, Acres Homes area. Uh, it was a law enforcement seizure. He was a part of 18 horses that had just been left for days, and um, he was cute little paint again. Um, small, which is good. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're afraid of horses getting, you know, 17 hands, is also not a good idea. Um, and so I ended up adopting him. His name's Apache. And, you know, the day came to like move. So freedom is my first horse. So to move freedom and then bring Apache and have them meet each other. And that was just like so much stress. Cause I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I don't know horses. So they ended up falling in love with each other. It took two days, and they were already kissing each other across the fence. I'm like, okay, so I just opened the fence or the gate and let them together, and they've been together ever since. And I'd always kind of wanted some kind of an animal that was unusual. I mean, I just grew up like everybody else with cats and dogs. And I love animal behavior. Like, if I could start over, I'd be an ethologist and study animal behavior. And I've always wanted to be like, you know, the trainer at SeaWorld, or I just love that you can teach animals to communicate with you. So um, I thought, okay, well, what could I get that like, could be a training challenge? And so somehow I settled on llamas. <laughs> and of course you get one llama, yeah, you have two llamas. Yep. And um, to say they are a training challenge would be quite an understatement. So I've, I've, I would say I've probably got an F. I didn't know they <laughs> were llama trainable. Training. <laughs> Well, I, I think any animal's trainable as long as it has, you know, a brain. I mean, if it's just a limbic <laughs> system and it's a worm, I don't know, maybe not. But I can remember when Casey Curry trained her goldfish when she was what? Wait, when she was weather. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait! Oh my! What? Okay, yeah. I got to. I'll ask her about ask this. Her about but that. no, I mean, yeah. okay, she, she trained, trained to jump over a little pole in its in its um, aquarium. My daughter has <laughs> multiple goldfish. I think at. At this time, seven. She went from eight to seven. They have, unfortunately, a short lifespan. Yes. Um, but she is in love with her gold with her goldfish. Okay. Well, gonna, she can she can train her goldfish. I to, will to ask her. A pole. Animals are uh, very undervalued in their intelligence. I think they mm-hmm. we don't give them an opportunity. And I also think there's a portion of humanity that would like for, to think that they are unintelligent and unfeeling because. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to abuse them, especially food animals, yeah. get terrible abuse. And it's mm-hmm. easier to say, oh, well, you know, a lobster doesn't feel anything when you put it in a hot pot. I'm pretty sure it does. Uh, but that's just an excuse to, you know, for your behavior. So I think most animals are trainable. And what really works the best for me uh, is clicker training. So I've used clicker training on the llamas. I have trained them to, um, I can halter them. I can lead them on a rope. They will walk across obstacles. 
um, and they will touch their nose to a target, so whatever the target is, and then they will give me a kiss on the cheek at the end. Aw. So that's taken me two years. Oh, that's it? Just <laughs> two? <to>? That's it. <laughs> it's like, come on, guys, <laughs> work well, with know, me. I, I recently saw this video, it was on the news, you may have seen it, where um, I think it was during some storms that were going on, and it was in, the I want to say, the Portland airport. And this lady, oh, it was over Christmas when it was mm. super stressful for everybody to travel. And she brought her two therapy llamas into the Portland airport to let people like pet them therapy and llamas. hug them. Yes. And I'm like, I've got to contact that lady because mine, I can't even touch mine. So how, how <laughs> is she putting a costume on them and taking them into an airport? Like she's like, I'm down on my knees, like praising her. She, <laughs> so, I can't even touch mine is. I can't. Wow. If I just walk up to them, they won't let me touch them. Now they'll stand there. And okay. So what do you mean by that? Do they run, run away? They spit no, they on don't you? Run what, away. What do they, do? they just take two steps away. They just don't, they don't want to be touched, mm. but they come over. Like I was sitting in a chair in their pasture yesterday, just for the heck of it. And they came over and they were sniffing my hair and sniffing my toes. And <laughs> I just sat there, let them do what they want to do. So they will come over to you. They're very social, but they just don't want you to touch them. Mm. So I was so disappointed when I found out they don't like grooming because I, I had envisioned myself grooming them and, you know, putting <laughs> bows in their hair. And I was smart enough to know what I don't know. And so I went to a three-day llama training course in North Carolina before I got them. And the first thing the, the I mean, she's like the worldwide expert on llama training. The first thing she said to me was, if you want your llama to hate you, start grooming it. I was like, what? That's why I'm getting them. I just want to groom them. <laughs> Can I take them back now? No. <laughs> I hadn't gotten them yet. I mean, I probably should have taken that. It's a big sign not to, um, but, you know, I'm very dogged about things. So I just kept slodging forward. I'm getting two llamas. So now I have two llamas, and everybody's like, why? And I'm like, very good question. Um, I'm still trying to find the answer. But um, What are their names? Powwow. Powwow. And Warrior. And Warrior. So all my animals are, like, Native American names. And they're all... Um, like black and white or brown and white. Mm-hmm. So everyone's like, do you notice that your animals look the same? And I was like, yeah, I picked them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what I picked. I, they're so cute, though. Yeah, they're in the January-February issue, actually. Yeah. I talk about my training challenges with them. Um, I would like to say something in their defense. Yeah. Almost verbatim, every time I say I have llamas, the first thing people say is, oh, don't they spit? I mean, that is like all they know about llamas is that they spit. Guilty. I, yeah, just, you just, I just asked you. You just asked me. <laughs> <laughs> it went right by me because I'm so used to hearing it. Well, yes, they can spit. And also dogs bite and horses kick and cats scratch. And all animals have a self-defense mechanism mm-hmm. and they will employ it, you know, at their will as needed. And that's one of their defense mechanisms. And so, you know, they have versions of spitting, which I find interesting. So they are oh, a three-chambered three stomach animal. Okay, so... If they, they, they have never spit at me. Now, I have been in the crossfire, standing in the wrong spot <laughs> before. Um, but when they have these little spats that they have between themselves, it is 100% over food. And so I've learned where and how to feed them to mitigate that. But um, if they get in a little spat about that, the spit is more like, it's almost like air. Maybe there's a little saliva that comes out. Mm. I mean, it's not really anything. Now, the, the next level of spit, they can go down to chamber one, two, or three to regurgitate whatever is in there, and that is dependent upon how agitated they are. So if something horrible was happening, happening to them, they would probably go down to chamber three, and up would come some kind of green, disgusting goop. Now, 
I'm thankful I've not seen that. I hope I never do see that because that means something horrible is happening to them or me. Um, and so, yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, they're like any animal. They'll give you a warning. Yeah. You know, ears back first. Mm-hmm. That says, I don't like it. Um, and they also will flick their tail. It's like a really quick wag of their back of their tail, their back tail. <laughs> of course, it's in the back. That's the only place you'd find a tail. Um, and that means I'm really irritated. Stop what you're doing. Or I might spit on you. But no, I mean, it's not a normal response. And I, I think it comes from the more I've learned about them. I mean, you know, all joking aside that 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 I find them so challenging. They are very, very interesting. And um I think they, like a lot of animals, they have been abused, they've been misunderstood, they've been made to do things to benefit humans that is really not in their natural wheelhouse that they don't want to do. They've not been given an opportunity to speak, uh, you know, uh, um, to to have their will understood and known. Um, the fact that I have learned that they don't like to be touched, I respect that. So Warrior will allow me to pet him, and I call it the scratchy scratch. So if I come up and I make this little, like, I'm going to scratch his neck, sometimes he kind of leans into me, and that says, yes, I want you to scratch me. If he kind of takes a step away and he moves his neck away, that means don't scratch me. And I don't chase after him and scratch him anyway. I respect his answer. I don't want you to scratch me right now. And so, you know, over the course of two years, I've built trust with them. They trust me more than anybody, of course, because I'm the one that feeds them, and I don't. And one of the things that I went to the training course for because a lot of people that have llamas don't have them as pets. They have them for utilitarian reasons. You know, they're either guarding, because uh, llamas are good guard animals. Um, they'll guard, you know, sheep, goats, etc. Or they have them as, they're a fiber animal. So they're shearing them for their fiber is just like, you know, alpaca fiber is as soft, if not softer, than uh, cashmere. So they'll have, you know, 30 or 40 of them. Well, if you have 30 or 40 of them, it's really hard to have a relationship, a one-on-one relationship. Mm-hmm. And the way that they would go catch them for them to have any husbandry or, you know, vaccinations or to be sheared, they just run at them and grab them and tackle them, basically. Well, what do you think is going to happen the next time you go to, you know, up to that animal is going to run away from you? Mm-hmm. So I learned through this seminar that I went to a way to um, – you know, humanely and respectfully catch them and halter them. And it took a lot of um, patience, you know, and just let them look at the halter. If you look at the halter, click and treat. Eventually I would touch their nose to the halter, click and treat. Eventually they would put their nose in the halter. So, you know, it's little baby steps at a time. Um, But they are, they're physically strange though. I mean, they kind of walk like an ostrich and they chew like a rabbit and they have like this long giraffe neck. And, um, they're just like when God got to the end of animals and said, well, I've got these 10 parts left over. Let's see what else can I create with all these leftover parts? Can I create something that doesn't look real? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just very, very strange. Looks like a, um, a, like a random picture a seven-year-old kid drew. Yeah, well, and I had been told by a number of people, because the horses came to the property first, and it was probably two or three months before I went to get the llamas. And I'd been told by all the horse people, your horse is going to freak out. They're going to freak out when they see these llamas. And they weren't going to be in the pasture together, but they're going to be fence sharing. And I'd also read, like, if you're on a trail, if someone, a lot of uh, llamas will be used for, they're also pack animals, so... They're used, um, like if you go on long hikes and stuff, people will use them for packs. You can even rent them um, to go 
like in Montana, if people shoot a moose, for instance, if you shoot a thousand pound animal, there's no way to get it out of the forest because you can't drive in there and get it. And the llama will carry it back? A, the, a llama can carry one third of its weight. So you can rent like eight llamas <laughs> and they're all roped together and you yeah. go get your moose and obviously you've cut the moose up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't just lay this big moose across eight yeah. llamas. Anyway, so they are used as a pack animal. I didn't uh, know that. As well. Yes. Yeah, well, that's in, they're indigenous to the um, Andes. And so they're carrying stuff, you know, up and down. Makes sense. Yeah. And so anyway, so there's a lot of people will say, well, if it's a trail where there's going to be horses and llamas, mm-hmm. get off your horse and walk your horse. Because if a horse has never seen a llama and it sees it and you're on its back, you're probably not going to be on its back very long. Yeah. And so I heard all this. You know, I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. And so we, we, the llamas got off the, the trailer, and the horses, I've just never seen such a reaction. They took off running for the hills as far away as they could get. So their pasture was kind of almost like a triangle, so they went to the farthest corner, they, they, and they just stood there, and they snorted this weird snorting noise. And then they would run, and then they would stand and snort, and they would run and snort. And to the point, this went on for a couple of days. They wouldn't come back to the barn for food. Mm-hmm. I had to take their food all the way across the pasture in a bucket and leave it. And then they would start to get a little like, creep closer. And then, and of course, the whole time the llamas were like, I don't know what y'all's problem is. You know, we're just over here grazing, whatever. They, they didn't even notice the horses. And they would, because the, the, the way they lift their head is more like a crane, and so if they would lift their head, then the horses, there they'd go again, tearing <laughs> off to the back pasture. They're like, oh, what is that thing? <laughs> and and it, was, it just got so bad that I had to call this trainer where Freedom had boarded, so she already knew him. And she's like, I'll, I'll try to come out and help you. I'm like, they won't come back to the barn. They're, they're terrified. They even had, like, they were almost bleeding in their nostrils where they had been snorting for, I think this was day five. Oh, no. And so she's like, okay, I'll come and help you. And so she put both of them on a lunge line and just lunged them and just kind of got their focus off of these two weird creatures that were in the next pasture over. And just just kind of like, you know, we got this, you know, I'm in charge right now. Pay attention to me. And then that kind of did it. And now they, you know, they coexist. Um, And I I caught the two of one of the horses and llamas were kind of nose touching the other day across the fence. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So (laughs) that is. That is adorable um, that it's finally come to mm-hmm. to that, you know? It's almost yeah. like your own version of Charlotte's Web, Michelle's Web. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, those are the animals I want. Um, I have some animals I don't want, as in snakes. Mm. There's a lot of snakes on our property. Mm-hmm. Um, back in August, I came, well, was it, no, it was in August, October, I came home from an Aggie game. And I might have had a glass of wine. So I put on my flip-flops to go to the barn, which is uh, so brilliant, right? So I put on my flip-flops, I go over to the barn, it's about 10 o'clock at night. So we go over and we do the, the little night routine, get everybody their hay, check their water, tell them night, night. So the llamas were in their stall, and they normally would stay there until I give them food, and they just left. And that should have been clue one. And so I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting. So anyway, I go about whatever I'm doing. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to step into the llama stall and check. They have a little box where their minerals are, make sure they have minerals. 
So I was kind of looking forward, you know, over at the box. I open the gate, put my foot in, and I feel something on my top of my foot that's like oh, slimy. no. And, you know, it took my brain a second to, like, register this, and I looked down, and all I could see was it was it was a snake, but it was so fast, and it was in, they have hay or straw, you know, in the as the basis of their stall. Yeah. So it it went out of their stall and on sort of the cement area behind all the trash cans where their food is. And thankfully, Mark was there. And so he was like, that is the most blood-curdling scream I think I've ever heard. And so he grabs something. He's like, oh, it's, I'm sure it's just a water snake or whatever. you know. Because you know, being a veterinarian, most of the snakes that on the property, he just goes and grabs them by their head and takes them somewhere and like, hey, throws them over there. He knows. Know? Yeah, yeah, he knows, right? And he also knows how to grab them and you know, catch them by hand, which I think is insane. And so he's like, oh, you know, so, and then he goes, oh, that's a copperhead. I was like, are you kidding me? Like a copperhead just went over my bare foot. And I mean, <laughs> I was so traumatized for like four days. I was just, you know, reliving that. It's just like what you would think it feels like, like slime over to the top of my foot, my bare foot. So lesson one, don't wear flip-flops to the barn. Yeah. Mm. Not a good idea. Mm, So, mm, But that's mm. not my only copperhead encounter, but that's the scariest one. And I I don't know how it didn't bite me. I mean, that was really by the grace of God. I guess he decided to keep me here for a while (laughs) (laughs) to continue to irritate those within my family. (laughs) Well, um, Michelle, thank you so much for coming by the podcast. Y'all check out Houston Pet Talk magazine uh, in over a thousand different places all throughout the city of Houston. Uh, We got the January, February issue out. March is coming up. Who's on the cover? March is our annual dog training cover. Okay. So it is going to be an adorable golden retriever that belongs to Dr. Laura Noaker that owns Vergi Emergency. All right. And so that's going to be fun. And then April uh, is the 100th anniversary of Houston SPCA. So we're celebrating their 100 years of animal advocacy, educating the community, saving animals. They're a really, really impressive organization. They have the... Probably, I think, the largest uh, animal cruelty division in Texas. I think they have 10 or 12 uh, constables that are on their staff um, out there fighting cruelty every day. And, I mean, those guys are, they see stuff that I just couldn't see. I mean, they are the real heroes. Um, to, you know, I can't, I can't unsee animal abuse, so... I I cowardly hind behind the words of Pet Talk. Y'all, so if you don't get to any one of the thousand places that uh, carries Houston Pet Talk, you can always check them out uh, at HoustonPetTalk.com. Thank you so much for stopping by the podcast. Thanks for having me. 